This morning's scripture reading comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. About 10 years ago, I read a biography of Billy Graham, and um, I wanted to share just a little vignette out of that. His biggest regret in life, and we all have them, but his biggest regret was the relationship that he had with Richard Nixon. He had, as you know, relationships with all of the presidents. I think it was from Eisenhower on or Truman on, but um, anyway, all the, all the presidents. And he got the closest to Nixon, and uh, uh, they became fast friends, and uh, their families, uh, or their, the wives became friends, and he got to know the family, and they trip, took a trip to Europe together. So uh, that was not true of all those other presidents, and the, so the closest. And then, as you know, uh, if you, you know your history a little bit, uh, the Watergate thing happened, and all those tapes that came out, and then the manuscripts of those tapes, and when Billy Graham saw what Nixon was really like in that private, those private places, he said he wept and he vomited. He was so taken back. He felt so let down and deceived. He, he, he still, years later, couldn't believe that the person he knew was the person who said those things. So calculating, cold, and vulgar, if you remember those uh, words of Nixon. Well, uh, it happens. I want to try to explain uh, us to ourselves, if I can. I'm not getting any thing here. If I can get that first slide up there, Mark. Yeah, there we go. Um, you know what that is? I've used this, this before. I've tried to pick out a different image this time, but that's an iceberg. And you can see how, how different the top looks from the bottom. And the other thing about icebergs is roughly 90% of an iceberg is under underwater. Uh, Sigmund Freud uh, made a, a name for himself basically trying to work with that image right there. <laughs> that most of us is sub-layered, uh, subterranean. That the, the things of the heart and the deep things in the human being are underneath the surface. And so what, what uh, Billy Graham did not see in Richard Nixon was all that stuff down there. 
If I can get that next slide. This would be, I'm, I'm just using this as an illustration, and obviously it's not a, it's, it's a cartoonish one, but this would be more of the illustration of who Billy Graham is. In other words, what you see on top is fairly close to what you see underneath, although you still have 10% showing and 90% underneath. Now, what God, let me, let me try to make this as clear as possible because we lose it in the, um, you know, I want to try to simplify the Christian life into this one statement. And that is that God's purpose for his children is to make them look more like Jesus Christ. And Billy Graham uh, would look more. I don't. I don't, I don't have a, an iceberg illustration for Jesus, but um, it would be closer to that one than the other that I showed you earlier. God wants to make you and I into the kind of person who would react in situations the way Jesus would react. Okay, that it would just flow out of of kind of who we are. And over his life, Richard Nixon became the kind of person who said those things those cold, calculating, vulgar things. And Billy Graham, over the course of his life, became the kind of person who wept and vomited. But you need to know something else that Billy did. After Nixon was in disgrace, by, I mean, just horrible disgrace and really a social pariah in our nation, Billy Graham went to seek him out. Couldn't find him. I mean, Nixon was sick in many ways. He and his, Billy and his wife hired an airplane to say, with a banner behind it, you know those things that, you know, how would you, and it flew it around Nixon's house and says, Billy, we still love you. Or, I'm sorry, Richard, we still love you. <laughs> you see. And then Billy finally got in to see Nixon, and he told him that he was still his friend. He graced the disgraced. That comes out of character. That is not natural to who we are. That comes out of a character of a person who is becoming like Jesus Christ. So do you want to become like Jesus Christ? There's only one way to do it, and that's by his spirit. And uh, that's where we're going to go this morning. In this series, this is the last of four, and I I feel like uh, four weeks to talk about change. And, you know, how are you doing on that one? You got a big job, don't you? Or God does. We're all under construction. Four weeks is not nearly long enough. We just scratched the surface. But in scratching the surface, we can go deep into the things that God wants for us. He wants us to look more like Jesus Christ. And if you want to know what God is like, he's like Jesus Christ. So it's really, this is what it means to be godly, is to become like, like Christ. And to become like Christ isn't to become Christ if you think you're Jesus. I heard this this week. It was, if you think you're Jesus, then you need to go to the doctor and get some of those little pills that they have there. It's not about that. But um, we're going to look at today and uh, opting for growth. We're going to see what the word sarks mean. It's a Greek word that uh, has uh, Paul uses a lot, so we'll take a look at that. And then we'll look at experiencing fruit and living in the Spirit. So uh, seeing sarks, let's see what that word means. And we begin in uh, chapter 5. I'm just going to read again what Dave read for us. And, and I have the older NIV translation, so it's going to read differently, but actually it will help us to figure out what that word means. And... Um, So here it is. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sarks, or translated here, sinful nature, translated 
in the new NIV that I am not using, flesh. So those, we're going to wrestle with that in just a minute. But So you have on, on the one side, you have the spirit, and then the other side you have the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Have you ever discovered that you don't do what you want? Paul is aware of that. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So uh, before we get to the, the meaning of the word sarx, let's just look at this conflict that is coming between the Spirit and the flesh, or sarx. And I want to go back to to this image here. Um, the... Um, the, the word that's related to, to flesh, if you want to improve your outward appearance, or your, we'll say flesh right now, you do it by looking good. So which part, which part can we see of the person? The 10%, right? So we're going we're gonna to see this up here. And uh, what, what the, the sinful nature, the sarks of the flesh, will, which we'll get to in a sec, what, what, if you focus on this, uh, you can actually look good, but you can't actually be good. So to be good is to change this down here. And the, the only person that can change that down there, it's not you, it's the Holy Spirit. And Paul brings up the word law. The law, which uh, is functioning up here to make you look good, but can't actually help you be good. The law is a good thing, but it can't change you. When somebody says you're doing something wrong, that may not really change what's going on inside of you. So this is the stuff that Paul is dealing with. Um, If we, as people who struggle with doing the right thing, can appreciate the work of the Holy Spirit, we have a a hopeful uh, posture of growth in our lives. So I want to take you back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and it says that the Spirit, this is just, I love this imagery, the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep, over the darkness. And in my heart, the Spirit of God is hovering over the deep, and the darkness in my heart that looks like this, and it wants to bring change there. Just as he did in creation, the same Spirit of God wants to bring change in me. Is that helpful? Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The Holy Spirit is always about bringing change, bringing order, bringing life to dark places. Okay, so what about the word uh, sarks that Paul uses in the Greek? Well, it, it can be translated in different ways, and it can mean this right here. Pinch yourself. It can mean your flesh, your physical body stuff. It can mean that, but there's a range of meaning, as there are with many words, and it, it, uh, it also means figuratively being self-oriented, being very selfy. How's that? You guys know what that word means. But it means you're always taking a picture of yourself. The world is revolving around you. And Martin Luther says it's the self being bent in upon itself, curved in upon the self. It's a self-orientation. And uh, that's what sarks is, or sinful nature is, or flesh is, as Paul uses the word. Let's look at the fruit that comes from 
the sinful nature or the flesh or sarks. Verses 19 through 21. I want to. I want you to listen. I'm going to. I'm going to point out something here, but I want you to listen to some of the differences in these words. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Well, they're not all obvious. Let's let's look at uh, the first. Uh, the first part of the list is obvious: sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. If somebody's doing those things, I mean, participating in those things, it's kind of obvious. It's outward. It's, it's up there. It's on the top part. But listen to the next part of the list. Hatred. That's not so obvious. Discord. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition. Dissensions. Factions. And envy. Those are all things that tend to come out of the, of the bottom part. And there's eight of them listed. How many? We listed five at the beginning that were more outward, eight that are more inward, and now two more at the end that are more outward, which are drunkenness, orgies, and the like, whatever the like is. But the list goes on, apparently. But the point of it is that the, these, the, sin, the sinful nature produces fruit, some of which you can see and, very, and is very obvious, and some of which you can't. And I want you to start... See, what the Holy Spirit does is he begins to make you aware of those things you can't see. They're hard to see. Um, and that's the, the next point that we need to make here, is that our, our self-awareness on what is underneath... Do you remember um, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, we talked about this prodigal son story. And which son... Did we actually did we kind of see the visible sins with? You see, it's the younger son, and he so he was up here. We 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 saw his ten percent, and it looked pretty bad: sexual immorality, uh, debauchery, you know, whatever. We saw that stuff in the younger son, but the older son, we saw his sins down here. He was jealous, hateful, judgmental. His heart was really angry at his brother and not open to the grace of the father. So you see this worked out in the two sons. And what we, here's what we tend to do. We tend to, um, because, this is where we are self-conscious. Because we're really concerned about what other people think and our ability to make ourselves acceptable to God. And so we, we focus on this area up here which is where the law operates, but the Spirit wants to focus down here. And this isn't about being self-conscious. This is about being self-aware. Have you ever uh, thought about the difference between being self-conscious and self-aware? People who are self-aware are going to grow into maturity. People who are self-conscious are always going to be worried about what other people think about them. It's a huge difference. If you're going to grow, you're going to become more self-aware and less self-conscious. So this is what we... uh, uh, this is the part of the struggle in this whole thing. We don't see ourselves very well. We, don't, we see the outward stuff. We focus on the outward stuff. But what's really going down is in the heart. And so C.S. Lewis, Rats in the Cellar, famous uh, quote, Surely what a man does when he is taken off guard is the best evidence for the kind of man he is. What pops out of his mouth before the man has time to put on a disguise is the truth. If there are rats in the cellar, you are most likely to see them 
if they go in, if you go in very suddenly. But the suddenness does not create the rats. It only prevents them from hiding. If you are quiet enough and you sneak into a dark place and you flip on the light, you might see a rat. But they're, otherwise, they're going to hide. And so it is with becoming aware of what's down in those places in our hearts. Uh, I was, this is kind of a, a story on myself. Uh, so I, my goal is always to have my messages done by noon on Friday. But sometimes that doesn't happen because of life. And I, I was preaching on this uh, fruits of the spirit or fruit of the spirit years ago. And um, when I get uh, it was it was Saturday and things just weren't flowing. And I, I when things don't flow, I do what everybody else does. I go to Starbucks or whatever. <laughs> and um, I went there, and there was a long line. And there's there's no grumpier people in this world than people who are in a coffee line. <laughs> and um, Joined in, and then I and then I got frustrated because I saw that the person who was, um, you know, the making the coffee or, or taking the orders was somebody who was new and they didn't speak English very well. How do I how do I do this here? Let me see. Okay, so I start really functioning in this area. <laughs> Now, it's okay. you probably have, I mean, there's all kinds of junk that comes into the heart at that point. And then you may not notice it, though, but if you're preaching on the fruit of the Spirit the next day, you notice it. And so um, by the time I got my coffee, I had to uh, repent. That's the word we're looking for, repent. But it's, it's having the light shown in those areas that are hard to see that raises our, our self-awareness. Remember that line, I've quoted it many times, the only reason we know that self-deception is real is because we see it in other people. Okay? It, yeah, it's the only reason. And when Billy Graham saw who Nixon really was, he saw the rat in the, in the cellar. It's just uh, hard to see. And then the last thing we want to say about Sarks is that it is part of, and I've kind of hinted at this, but it's part of, it's not just the, the, uh, the things that we're doing wrong, it's our attempt to cover up the things we're doing wrong by trying to look good. It's a partially, in, I'll say this to all of us here, it's a partially intact system of self-salvation. It's still there in each one of us. And each day we need to deal with it. That it, when it, it shows up whenever we're living out of here, we're judging someone else or we're, you know, jealous or envious or some of those other words that Paul uses there. So that's what Sarks is. And we have a, a it's a huge battle, folks. It's a huge battle. Now, there's good news. Are you ready for the good? Because it's, it's coming. Paul then goes into, um, in verse 20 and, and following, he goes into what's called the fruit of the Spirit. Now, fruit doesn't have to try hard to grow. If you're a tree, what's the secret to bearing fruit? It's to be 
under the, in the right place, under the conditions that produce growth. That's all you have to do. The tree doesn't try hard to produce fruit. So it's really a helpful imagery for us. It's very simple. Just put yourself in that place where you're going to grow. Let's see here. I want to go here. Experiencing fruit. The problem is, where it gets kind of gooey uh, and not so simple, is, and I've, I've done this before, I've tried to get people to say, okay, let's look at these nine fruit of the Spirit. Let me list them for you. I can do it because, I don't know, I'm a pastor, I guess, but I can do it. But I've had to, I pray for these things for myself. Love, joy, peace. You ready? Patience. Everybody's favorite. On the plateau here. It's everybody's favorite. I know it is. Everybody says they're not patient. Kindness, uh, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do is infuse those nine fruit into this area. Supernaturally infusing them into that so that this iceberg would look more like Jesus, or at least more like Billy Graham. How's that? So here's, here's what I've done before, and I realize now that it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really work. But I'll ask people to, uh, okay, of that list of nine, pick out, say, the ones that you're good at and the ones that you're weak at, and then we'll, we'll form a prayer around that. But here's why that, that approach is suspect. Each of us has different temperaments, And I'm going to work with two of the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to work with uh, gentleness and faithfulness. And so some of you might be naturally sweet. And uh, I'll put my wife in that category. She's naturally sweet. She's just nice. By the way, nice is not in the list, right? But there's a lot of things in there that would sort of point towards nice. But C.S. Lewis actually has a great quote about nice. Nice people are often the hardest people for God to save. That's something like that, but you don't need that. So you you have these, uh, so gentleness would be kind of, or kindness would maybe be another word that would line up very well with with a, a person who is sweet by temperament. That's just naturally who they are. Are we all sweet by temperament? You don't have to answer that if you're sitting next to somebody that you're oh, not. I don't know about them. No, we're not. And so uh, some of us uh, may be closer to the, the fruit called faithfulness. Faithfulness would imply you're going to be loyal and strong and bold and courageous. It just, if that's your temperament, that's just kind of be who you are. And some people are more that way. And we have uh, great leaders who have those those qualities. I just read the biography of, of uh, U.S. Uh, Ulysses Grant, 959 pages. Whew. Just finished it, and he would be somebody who had that that temperament to to have those qualities. But the deal is, is that people who tend to be on the sweet side are not always on the bold side. And they're both fruit of the Spirit. And so that a, a person who is super gentle may just wimp out in the moment of when courage is needed. And people who are uh, on more on the, the bold side, they just become abrasive and arrogant and proud when sweetness is needed. See, it's not about temperament. 
the fruit of the Spirit, it, 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 all, it all works together. There's, there's one fruit. It says fruit of the Spirit, not fruits. One fruit. There's fruit in it. Here's, here's how you can see how it works. Love, joy, peace, patience. If you're more loving, you're going to be more patient. I mean, it's just they all rise. All the ships rise together. The tide comes in of the Spirit. Otherwise, we're just talking about temperament. That's not what it's about. So, you know, we need the Spirit working down here. A guy named Chuck um, from a previous place. Chuck was uh, a big guy and a kind of a crusty guy. And he came to, we wouldn't see him in church very often. I didn't think it was, it was probably wasn't a great fit for him, but like many spouses, or especially husbands, he came every once in a while just to kind of be, you know, that guy that made the appearance. And uh, uh, Chuck, yeah, he was a Packer fan, by the way. I'll tell you that. From Wisconsin. And, uh, but his I found out too that his his two girls who were stepdaughters, they always always talked about having dick. They didn't use the word, but it's basically that phrase we call eggshelling, where you have to walk on eggshells around him. He was kind of grumpy. That was the essence of Chuck. And then something happened. The Spirit of God got into Chuck's life. Chuck was a lapsed Catholic. And never really got it, but some, I don't. I can't remember the story, but he got it, and the spirit began to work down here in Chuck. And his oldest daughter, she came to me one day and told me, "My dad is so changed, and he is so soft now." And I noticed this about Chuck as I talked to him. He would he would just start to cry over things, and but not only did he cry over things that, I mean, this is a new man. But his, um, uh, he became bold in his prayers and bold in his uh, conversations with those who were not Christians. You see, the, the Spirit began to work and all of the, those, the fruit of the Spirit began to rise in him. So I want, I want to ask you, I want the Spirit of God to ask you this question right now. How are you different now than you were two years ago? This is really getting down to it here. But if what Paul is saying is true, then we would expect that over time we would be more like Christ. And we would have a daughter or a spouse or somebody who knows us well that would say, Boy, my dad's changed. Or, you know, at some point in life, you'd expect that if what Paul is saying is true, that you would be less judgmental than you used to be or less anxious than you used to be or, or have a greater hunger for Jesus in your life than you used to have. So, I mean, just you can ask somebody around you, but ask the question of them, how have I changed? And you can change in two different directions. That's, you know, there's the other list, right? Oh, you're more jealous than you used to be or whatever, more hateful. Okay, finally, uh, living in the Spirit, and I'm just going to give us some options here for living in the Spirit. It's 
you know, it is the Spirit, and so we're, we're trying to catch a wave or, or get the, the breeze of the Spirit at our back or get in the flow. It's, it's that kind of thing. We can't produce it. But one thing that's very simple and you can all do, that it's really simple, this, is, I wanna, this application is right in front of you, is you can get into this immersed thing. Remember, what it, we're not trees, folks. We don't have somebody that comes along and digs a hole and puts us in the ground here. We get to choose where we're planted. And where you choose to be planted is either going to be a place of growth or not so much. So here's an opportunity. There's, there's always opportunities, but this is a, a, seems like a real uh, pregnant opportunity to get into reading the Bible in the, in the next eight weeks between now and Easter. And watch what the Spirit does as you get into the Word. We know there's a long history, 2,000 years of voices that say, when you read the Bible, you meet the Spirit. So there's one. But let's just deal with this text, and I'll, I'll give you a couple others, and we'll close. Verse 24, For those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Okay, I'm going to go backwards here. Let's see if I can do this. I want to get back here again. This, um, this is that area where the passions and desires of the sarks or the flesh or the sinful nature have been crucified. But remember what I said earlier, this system, this sarks thing, is, it's the, the partially intact system of self-salvation. So we struggle in two ways. We struggle here uh, with, you know, just sins, right? And we also struggle here with trying to not look like we're really sinners. So it's, it has two faces to it, this whole Sarks thing. Part of it is that we're really not good down there, and part of it is that we want to look good up here. It's partially intact. We have been crucified, or our, our sinful nature has been crucified in order, remember, that which, only that which dies can be resurrected. That's another C.S. Lewis quote. Only that which dies can be resurrected. So our old, our old nature has been crucified so that our new self can be resurrected. But it's still partially intact. We, we haven't completed, God hasn't completed the work in us yet. And, and that's, you know, that's why we have heaven to look forward to. It will happen. Believe me, it will happen. But we're still struggling down here. So how do we, how do we uh, crucify the flesh? How do we cut off the oxygen supply to those things that are forever uh, besetting us, is what Paul is saying. And he, in verse 25, he gives us a way. Since we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I want to, what Paul would say to us, if he were here today, is that there is no such thing, he says this elsewhere, but there is no such thing as a spiritless Christian. By definition, a Christian is somebody who has the Spirit of God living in them. So just take that in. You, if, if you are a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, this will happen to you. If you become a Christian, you will have the Spirit of God in you. There's no other way. So, so drink that in. Drink that truth in. And when you drink that truth in, you realize that you have within you the power of God. 
The power of God to change. The power of God that raised someone from the dead, raised Jesus from the dead, who will raise all of us from the dead. And that God can change whatever those besetting sins are. So what I want to do right now is give you an option to come for anointing. And here's the words that you will hear if you should choose to come. And um, we would anoint you with a cross, with oil uh, on on your forehead. Oil is a symbol of the Spirit. It's a symbol that has a flow. It's a symbol uh, that that is warm and um, softens you up. So that's the symbol of it. But may you be changed by the Spirit who lives in you. Those are the words that you will hear as you are anointed. Um, Where do we have the anointing stations? Okay, so we'll have options in back, and we'll have some options up here as well. Sharon and I will be up here. And uh, don't, feel free to not come, but this is just this is an opportunity to, to make something kind of outwardly uh, tangible to you. And so what I'd like to do right now is just kind of close in prayer, and then we'll go to that opportunity. Lord, um, I, I pray for each of us now that we would have a deep awareness of your Spirit who lives in us and the power of that Spirit to bring change to our lives, both now and forever, that you're committed to making us look more like Jesus Christ. And um, we don't always see it, Lord. We don't, we don't always see it. We don't always see the, the stuff that needs to change in us. We don't always see what you're doing. We need other people in our lives to help us see. So thank you for that gift. But I pray right now that the posture of our hearts would be a posture of openness to you and to what you might desire to do in us. And we remember that we will live forever. Uh, One way or the other, we live forever. And we pray that we could just enhance that change toward what you want to do, Lord, by the power of your Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.